Hola, hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast, a podcast created to share the stories of everyday people doing positive things in communities of color. I'm your host, Jessica Yanez. In this episode, I speak to Aurea Bolaños, an Emerge California SoCal Fellow and independent political consultant who got into politics because she was scared of the power of her own voice. In this episode, we talk about the power of the Latinx vote, particularly in this voting cycle. So grab your wine and get ready for some political chisme. So excited about today's episode because I have somebody that I can now call a friend. Her name is Aurea Bolaños. Hola, Aria. Hola, hola. How are you today? I'm really good. How about you? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I'm really, really good. I'm so excited. Um, Aurea is an Emerge California SoCal fellow and independent political consultant. Mm-hmm. So we are actually going to have some pretty interesting convo today, I'm, some pretty interesting chisme. Oh, I'm all for talking political chisme. Yes. That's my thing. Well, before we get into the political chisme, we got to get to the wine. You guys know this by now. So today I splurged a little bit more and we are drinking the Francis Coppola 2017 Black Label Claret. It's from their Diamond Collection, and it's a Cabernet Sauvignon. So this one, I know I've been mostly getting my wines at Trader Joe's, and mm-hmm. this one I got at Trader Joe's too for right. $14.99. So salud. Okay. Yeah, salud. not too bad. Not this bad is the splurge all. lately for me, $14.99. <laughs> $14.99, really, though. Ooh, I like that. That's a little bit heavier than the wines I've been drinking lately, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's needed for, for, for the <laughs> like discussion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you think? I really like red wines and if they're not bitter, but if you can actually taste how red they are, like mm-hmm. maybe the ingredients, I prefer it. Some people love the, the dryness of a white wine. I just can't do it, but this is really good. I usually just get the apothic red. And maybe I'm going to have to change. Yeah, All right. <laughs> well, there we go. And as always, the uh, photo of the wine bottle will be on the show notes. So we will make sure to include that. So if you're interested in trying it out, you can. So now, now that we've gotten to the wine, okay. let's get to the chisme. Oh, love it. <laughs> <laughs> so Aurea, um, you are Mexican born and raised. Yeah. And moved to the U.S. when you were 13 years old, correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So tell me about that experience, like just especially coming as a teenager, because I think mm-hmm. that's different. You come in with a different perspective than coming right. as a very young child. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely start. I started seventh grade in the United States. So it was difficult to. Oh, act- by middle school. Such I- a t- Like, I'm, I'm like, what do you mean? I, I grew up going to schools where you used uniform. So even having to find out what my personality was through my clothes was difficult. Um, but also recognizing that when I came to the States, being seen as an immigrant, but see, being seen as Mexican was bad. So my fir- when I, my mom and I were looking for middle schools to, uh, you know, put me in for me to start, one of the schools literally said to my mom, oh, well, your daughter will probably 
feel more comfortable if she went to this other middle school where there's a lot more Mexicans. And, you know, I heard about (laughs) racism before, you know, as a kid, and I know the racism that Mexico has against its indigenous people, but that kind of micro, not even microaggression, but straight up saying like, "Mm, your daughter will probably prefer being around more Mexicans than being in this rich middle school. And what was your mom's response to that? My mom's response was taking out my grades and being like, do you think they'll accept her with these grades in that other middle school? And they're like, oh my God, let me show you to the counselor's office, right? The lady definitely was like, oh my God, you're not like other Mexicans, right? So oh my gosh, I've heard so that, frustrating already. <laughs> yes, I've heard that comment towards me my whole life of you're not like other Mexicans. And that stereotype is of what Mexicans in America are like. Right. It's not us. I need to take a drink of wine. Right. It is not us who perpetuate it. It is the people stereotypes of who we're supposed to be. Right. Um, So my first two weeks of school in the U.S., I had Mr. Garza, Mrs. Estrada, Mr. Lopez. My third week in an American school, Miss Thacker, Mr. Winchowski, Ms. Moyers. I'm like, so why did y'all put me in those other classes? Until, you know, they realize, oh, wow, like, maybe she is smart. It's like, you clearly do not know Mexicans. Like, oh, we my get the gosh. Job. So yeah. is that what started, like, on your path? Like, where did the seed? I mean, obviously, that's a very, yeah. like, you're aware of what's happening oh, when you're 13 years old. It's not yeah. like you're six and you're kind of, you know, mm-hmm. like, you kind of think something's weird, but you don't necessarily fully understand it because you don't yeah. have those types of deep-seated things embedded yet yeah but at 13 is that where you're or do you think looking back maybe now if that if that's not something you necessarily thought of at that time like Mm. thinking back now do you think that kind of planted a seed of wanting to represent people of color like not just Mexicans but generally people of color and having an awareness I think that what began kind of my 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 desire to represent and work like towards equity and especially work with communities of color was that when I came to the States, it was the first time that I had friends that were not like me, that were not Mexican. My best friend for the longest time was Vietnamese, right? And for me, that was amazing. I loved having friends that were not part of my culture because for the first time I was able to meet other people from different religions and backgrounds. Um, and but actually what I think started my desire to be involved politically, especially when it came it comes to women, was the fact that feminicidios, like female genocide, is so prevalent in Mexican culture. And the idea that violence is part of your culture, like anywhere you go and you say machismo, the person doesn't need to speak Spanish to know what that means. Yeah. Right. And that for me is so disappointing. The fact that our my culture and my Mexican culture has that attached to it. Um, so I always kind of had that awareness for inequality and violence against women. And when I moved to the States was actually the first time that I had the opportunity to experience, uh, making change in my community, right. Being involved in different community service organizations, talking with people that were also immigrants, but not necessarily Mexican, that were Thai immigrants or Filipino immigrants or Somali immigrants, that for me was like, wow, like these people also have stories like mine. Um, And they also suffer in a way that's different from mine. That actually is what inspired me to get more involved in politics and also having a really good 
you know, U.S. history and social science teacher helped. So, <laughs> Did they yeah. encourage that with you? Yeah, my high school teacher, uh, Mrs. Rodriguez, so I'm definitely going to give her a shout out. She w- was the first person that told me you should really be looking into studying politics and government. She's like, I think you have I a natural ability that. for that. And she is the teacher that, you know, she's in charge of, man, what is it called? Peer mediation. I was a peer mediator. So basically oh. we're a student counselor, yeah. right? And I was in her class and, you know, my professors never looked twice at me about, oh, maybe this girl should be in AP classes or honors classes. And Ms. Rodriguez was the teacher that vouched for me saying, no, she should be in those classes. She should be in the honors. She's more than capable. Do you think it, okay, let me just ask yeah. a question. Do you think if it was a, a white teacher, they would have done the same thing? Or do you think that you had an advocate in Mrs. Rodriguez? I definitely had an advocate in Mrs. Rodriguez till this day. You know, she still keeps up with me because I did have white teachers. Right. And I had white teachers that told me, oh, you're a great writer. I didn't know Mexicans could write so well. I actually did get that comment in school once in front of the whole class. And I was like, <laughs> right but okay. <laughs> okay lovely what the fuck you know uh, but mrs rodriguez if it wasn't for her to actually vouch for me right and put me also to push me into leadership positions as well you know for me that was so important that it came from her and she just has that kind of nature of feeling both being strict and a mom mm-hmm. as a teacher yeah and for me it was important uh to have somebody advocate on my behalf because I didn't quite know how to do that yet. Especially in high school. Are you kidding me? Like who knows what they want to do in high school? Not me. Not me. No, I was a goth punk kid Ah. in high school. Are you kidding? And plus I was like athletic because I wasn't swimming. So I did not fit in anywhere. I I mean, to a certain extent I get that because I mean, growing up, even growing up here in San Diego, Mm -hmm. I didn't have a lot of Latino teachers. I didn't have anybody Mm -hmm. that looked like me or whatever. And I remember when I was, it's so weird that you're saying this because it just brought up this memory. I was a freshman in high school and I had been a cheerleader and everything. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to try out for the cheer squad at the high school I went to in Escondido. And my teacher, teacher literally took me outside and said, she didn't want bimbos like me on her squad. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, she would tell my friend, Ceci, um, that she was going to send her to, like, she was so, at least towards the Latinas in the club, like the, the women. Yeah. Like with the guys, she wasn't as much, Mm -hmm. but with the girls, especially Mm -hmm. if you had a, a Spanish or Mexican or whatever, you know, like surname, Mm -hmm. or it was very obvious. Mm -hmm. She did not like you. She was just so, so I get like, you, you want that somebody who's going to, if I had somebody who advocated for me in Mm -hmm. high school and I did finally have somebody at one point, I think teachers sometimes, or we as parents or students or whatever, we, I'm not a parent, but (laughs) as I don't realize how like one person can make an impact, right? Mm -hmm. Like I have a seventh grade teacher. um, And I think he retired from Hidden Valley Middle School in Escondido, Mr. Carvajal. (laughs) Um, who knows where he is now? I, I know he's retired. He made us watch like current events at the beginning of mm-hmm. every class and we had to write notes. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the week, you had your notes to study. And then, so obviously the better notes that you took, right. the better you would do on the exam. And then we'd have a monthly one where you could use your notes. Mm-hmm. That taught me note taking. And I still use that 
skill because that's a skill it really is to this day so it was just something that was just so like I'm very grateful for I Mm -hmm. remember that teacher from Mm -hmm. when I was in eighth grade so anyways (laughs) no it's fine I I love listening to these stories but it just you just reminded me of that so you're at Emerge California tell Mm -hmm. us tell me what exactly Emerge is and, and what you do there so Emerge, so there's different, some people may know Emerge America, which is essentially very similar to Emerge California. Uh, Emerge America is just kind of like the national chapter of Emerge. But Emerge California, each a lot of states have different Emerge, you know, organizations, organizations right? Uh, it's like different branchings. But Emerge California, it is the only organization that trains women how to run and win. Now you have to be a self-identified, dem- like a Democrat woman running we're planning to run for office right so we want to make sure that we are training women that are going to change the political agenda in the next three five ten years um, we have about a 70 percent success rate where 70 percent of the women that go through our class run and win you hear that ladies <laughs> exactly so currently our class of 2020 as a southern california fellow which is my position this is the first time that emerge california has fellows there's three in the whole state so i represent la to the border wow right and that means that the women that are uh that were accepted from to our program so from 300 applicants we only accepted 67 and that is still our largest class to date since 2013. But that's awesome that there were 300 applicants. Mm-hmm. It's it's It gets like that, especially in the kind of time that we're living in, right? Especially because the momentum of women involved in politics is growing. Um, but again, we have 67 women, our, most, our largest class, our most diverse class. And I get to help the women logistically uh, with networking, meeting with them if need be, as long as they're from LA to San Diego. And I love it. I love being able to hear these stories. I love to see these women uh, grow into themselves because I think for a lot of, of them, they have heard the notion that there's just a spark within them but if I could explain what I see in these women when I have worked with them now for the past month is that it's more than a spark it's like a nuclear reactor they're their own battery because for them the politics is so personal that is what drove them to be there and emerge is a 70 hour training program throughout six months different parts of the region we uh we had our orientation in Oakland about two weeks ago then they're going to be in Sacramento to meet a bunch of alumni, to be at the Capitol, to know what it's like to be kind of like in Sacramento, policies, uh, what's currently happening, how to build your campaign. There's so many things that women um, do not know when they know they love politics. They know they want to make a change. And what happens when me with Emerge California can say, hey, you should run and let me show you how. Right. And for now, we're actually going to have a boot camp. So anybody listening, if you're mm-hmm. thinking about running for office, Emerge California is having a three-day intense boot camp in LA, April 3rd to the 5th, and applications are due on February 21st. So they're due quickly. Uh, again, it's going to be through an interview process, but we want to make sure that we are having the most impact as well, right? If you're interested, but you cannot commit to six months, commit to three days and go through a program and get to learn what that is all about. And are, will there be multiple boot camps throughout the year? Is it once a year? What do you? It is once a class. So our trainings only go from about January to June. 
right? And then we start interviewing or receiving applications for our next class between September and October, right? Uh, because usually after July, you're, pro- you're prepping for elections in November, right. right? So it would make no sense to train you in the fall when elections are in the fall. Right. So that's why we train in the spring. Uh, boot camps, there is one for the Southern California region and one from Central California and Northern California. So there's two boot camps happening on the same day, but in different parts of the region. So they are accessible to to anybody that wants to go. So somebody like, for example, doesn't they don't listen to this until yeah. after this particular boot camp? There will be one there's, next year. Okay. So awesome. we're always we we're going to be accepting applications for the class of 2021, I believe, September or early October. So if anybody's interested, look up for those dates. Oh my gosh, yeah. I. Like the first time we met, we literally, I wanted to save everything for the podcast, but there's so (laughs) much that we could talk about. We just talked and talked and talked for, I don't know, like 45 minutes and so, yeah, I know. (laughs) It probably could have gone on. I'm not probably, I know it could have gone on a whole lot longer. So I know that there, one thing that we've both talked about Mm -hmm. is with this particular election and how crazy just everything is everybody on the news and in the media continues to talk about the black vote and the black vote is Mm -hmm. what's going to get somebody elected right now i think people are they may be aware or unaware but the latino blue or the latinx depending on how you identify or a brown person or whatever Mm -hmm. um is the largest voting block in the country correct it is. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, when it comes to minority minorities, minorities yes, it is. It, it definitely is. We have, it, I can throw out some numbers, right? Yeah. So currently, because this 2020 census isn't done yet, um, 16% of all of the United States population is le- Hispanic Latinx, right? That means that's roughly 50 million people. So 50 million people in total, that's what we have, right? Who but identify themselves. That now. identify that are identified as Latinx or Hispanic. By the 2020 election happening in November, close to 32 million people will be of voting age. That means that there's 32 million additional. Additional? No, not additional to oh. the population. Well, right? I mean, like right. identified, right? That, well, it would be 32 million new voters. Oh, okay. okay. So, right. So, when I'm talking about like, there's 50 million people. In the U.S., there are Latinx. Thirty-two million of those are about to turn oh eighteen. Oh my gosh! Yes, thirty-two million of that fifty wow. is about to turn eighteen, or gonna have access. Like they're gonna become citizens, right? So that gives them the right to vote. But just think about that. There's thirty-two million new voters that the media and a lot of organizations have yet to tap on. Are you kidding me? Thirty-two million. People? Why do you think that is? Well, for one, I mean, if we go back to uh, the comment of the the black vote, like African-American and black culture is rooted on activism, right? So from not only the 60s, people think like, oh, the civil rights movement in the 60s, that's it. No, even before that, you know, we think about Harriet Tubman or Frederick Douglass, they were advocating for their community, right? We We don't call them activists, but they are part of the liberation movement for their community. Now, when we talk about the Latinx culture, it has taken us a while to kind of break away from the stereotypes that are imposed on us, right? Not only are the Mex- people that are Mexican from Mexican descent, but El Salvadorian, Puerto Rican, you know, there's so much hate that we also have within 
in our communities that we've yet to unpack. But other organizations like Voto Latino, Latino Victory Fund, those are great places, great organizations, national organizations that focus on registering Latinx to vote, right? And making sure that the youth knows about politics, but the problem is not them, it's, it's us. It's us feeling that our vote still doesn't matter, that our voices aren't being heard. And I think that we're doing ourselves a disservice because other communities of color, they know what they bring to the table, right? We hear to the media, in South Carolina, if in South Carolina you don't get the Black vote, you're not going to make it. If you don't get the Black vote, you're going to lose the Democratic um, nomination. Well, but also we need to recognize the mobilization that the Black community does that we don't do. Oh, that's something yeah. I've talked about with other people too. Yeah. It's like the Black community, they come together. Yes, they They're do. like, yes, they I do. mean, obviously not every nobody thinks the same. Everybody yes, thinks sure. differently. You're going to have people who have, you know, within different parties and everything. But when it comes to the community just as a whole, and yeah. they're like, no, this is who we are. This is what we stand for. These are the things that are important to us. Yeah. And our community doesn't do that. Like even within my own family, mm-hmm. I have cousins and I'm very, I'll be very transparent. Mm-hmm. I am not a Trump supporter. Mm-hmm. I think he's done so much damage to this country just inherent. Like I think he's brought out some inherent things that people have always held oh, onto yeah. that never voiced mm-hmm. and now feel like, oh, well, the president doesn't care. So neither do I, mm-hmm. you know, or the president's talking this way so i can too instead of like us rising to the occasion we've lowered our standards so much and so even within my own family there's Mm -hmm. so much so many differences which i don't understand Mm -hmm. like i truly don't i love my family regardless but (laughs) i'm just you know there's it's just very it's just very disheartening and that way i think there's a lot of that even more within the latinx community than any like within the black community because they come together as one they're like we want you know there's this 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 Mm -hmm. and like you said i feel like there's so much anger and rage and everything just between even different communities there's so there's so much when it comes to the latinx community we're so fragmented it's almost an us versus them Mm -hmm. competition right like well you're not like me i do this you know, I went to school or my kids went to school. It's always like a competition. Did you ever feel like, but even among the countries, like, oh, well, I always felt like people look down on Mexicans more than any other Latin American country. Mm. Like, oh, Mexicans. And I'm a, I'm a U.S. born Latina. Mm -hmm. So, and even then I would get like offended. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, oh, I'm from Cuba. I'm better. Or I'm from, not saying that, that like, I'm just saying generally, (laughs) don't come at me. (laughs) People are going to be like, what do you mean about Cuba? Um, And I think you bring up a great point. It's um, this kind of ethnocentrism where it's, even though we're part of the same community of Latinx, Hispanic, we still think that there's a competition between us. Like one of us has to win. Like it's either Puerto Ricans or Cubans. It's either Mexicans or Salvadorians. It's either one or the other. And that is holding us back. Like the fact that we cannot mobilize our community. Like we're from San Diego, which has some of the largest Latinx population in the whole state. But we cannot mobilize them to go out in the streets, to canvas, to phone bank, to even like get involved in politics. Like what's it going to take? And even though we have a, uh, we have the 45th, I dare not say his name, um, empowered, that was still 
not enough for so many of us to come out because for one thing I feel is the, I feel it's fear, right? We are so scared about what can happen to us if we do voice our opinions. The only people that people uh, that others assume that, you know, that's where our Latinx representation is, is with the DACA and the Dreamer movement and immigration justice. Like, well, it's not just a Latino issue, right? The fact that San Diego has the largest African immigrant population in the whole state, in the West Coast, right? Why are we not talking about their needs? Why does this immigration only become a monolith, only one person's issue? Um, but you bring up a great point that why do we feel like what's happening today doesn't affect us when it totally does? For people like you who were born here, for people like me that were not born here, that moved here. I Sometimes I have the fear that some someone is going to come into my door and be like, oh, we're taking away your citizenship card because no, no, you can't be acting like this as an immigrant. You know, and... That is, I think, what a lot of organizations are missing is how to tap in, to use that fear and act on it. Go out and mobilize. Go start a group. Go hang out with your friends and talk about what's happening. Because people forget there's power in numbers. There is definitely power in There's power in numbers. And the fact that, like, for me, even being, you know, a U.S.-born Latina, that I see things that are triggering for me. Like, I'm not going to lie. I might get a little emotional because it does, like, it does really frustrate me. I see a red hat that, like, says, like, make America great again. And it hurts me so bad because as me, as a U.S.-born Latina, that makes me sad because to me, I'm like, you don't want me here. Yeah. Because I don't agree with you. Because Mm -hmm. my grandpa used to freaking manage the fields, you know, Mm -hmm. in North County Mm-hmm. With the workers that pick the avocados yeah. and the lemons and the limes and the grapefruits. Now imagine, and I just think, man, if this is triggering for me and it makes me so sad thinking, like, you don't want me here. Mm-hmm. Like, if you just knew me, mm-hmm. I can't even begin to imagine what somebody who wasn't born here mm-hmm. or who is working towards their green card or doesn't or is just here just trying to make some money to be able to send to their family. Mm-hmm. Like, that makes like that makes me so sad because I already know how I feel Mm -hmm. and it's 10, 20, 50 times less than what somebody else feels because of those things, because of the things that are happening. Mm -hmm. But I think what you're feeling is completely valid, right? It's you're having such an emotional response because what is happening in our political climate is personal. Even if you are, if you were born here, Right. And I have very dear friends of mine who are undocumented. Right. The fact that at any day they could leave my life, that makes it personal for me. Even though I, I was I had the privilege that my family was able to pay for us to become citizens. It's not cheap. It is not cheap at all. So anybody and that's it's thinking, not quick and it is not easy. It took us about five years. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, my friends could leave my life at any moment. Everything that they've worked for could just disappear, right? And how are we not supposed to take those? Those red hats are equivalent of a KKK mask. They're symbolic of hate. And the fact that we're having such a visceral reaction of anger, anger is a secondary response to what? Being hurt, 
because we're seeing the injustice that is currently happening in our country and within our communities. Because let me tell you, the fact when I see the Latinos for Trump, I was about to ask, not, like, how did like? I'm like, well, who, the, who do you think he's coming after? You're you're nobody to them. You're nobody to this party. Well, remember, wasn't it the lady? Was it in Ohio? It's Florida. I'm pretty Flo- sure. I, yeah, I remember. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. It was definitely Trump state. Was, she was like full on Trump supporter. Yeah. And then they deported her husband. Right. And she's like, mm-hmm. well, I thought they were going to. No. Like, that's a mask when they say they're going to. Oh, we're only going to deport bad people. Well, remember, he said we're a country of bad hombres. Mm-hmm. So to him, anybody who's not his skin tone or doesn't agree with, and truly it's anybody who just doesn't agree with him and is not going to basically bow down to him. I mean, is, let's make it easier. Anybody that isn't white. Yeah. Because are you these, yeah. these, these bans are not for anybody who's from coming from European countries. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And they just added Nigeria into the travel ban. What, why? Tell me why they added Nigeria. Of course, no, we don't know. He yeah. just decided that it was Tuesday, right? Um, but it's those kind of things where we have to be honest that that party is not the Republican Party. I'm not even going to go into that. They got their own issues. But this president, his motto has been fear, fear mongering, hate, racism, bigotry, right? And so many people relate to it. And that's the thing. People believe that when we have Barack Obama, racism is over. Oh, my God, we have a black president. <laughs> no. It w- it's kind of like we all have that genetic disposition to the flu. Mm-hmm. And when the flu hits, we all get it. Right? right? Trump is not the reason we're racist now. It was always here. Oh, yeah. But he was just the flu. He was the thing that made everybody wake up. And people were like, oh, my gosh, I can also say that? I can totally say that. You know, Mexicans are murderers and rapists and I can grab women by the pussy and like sexually assault anybody I want because I'm rich and white and a man. We people have already those ideals, but this man gave them the platform to be able to act on it. You know what? They also have the electoral platform because those people come out to vote. And I don't think that's what people are understand. New Hampshire, Iowa, surf supremely white states supremely white states what do you think we're gonna find there we're not gonna find a diverse population now i'm not talking about race educational background class religion who can actually give us a, an idea of what the country is seeking in the new leader why don't they start with texas utah kansas south carolina utah Indiana. they're like yeah. their latinx population has been booming and also they're let they're conservative latinos there but conservative in the area of religion Right. right. But so do you think uh, so speaking of yeah, religion? Yeah. I mean, I know I have friends who were and I say were oh, okay. one issue voters. Um, yeah, they were one mm-hmm. issue voters and they voted for Trump because um they're I'm not I don't want to say pro-life, anti-abortion. They're anti-abortion. Oh, Cuz being pro-life is is different because if you're pro-life in my opinion, yeah. you're not pro-death penalty. You're not Ooh, pro, yeah. Like if okay. pro life means pro life. There's okay. a difference between pro life and anti abortion. Oh, okay. I think, I think you're more anti abortion because you're okay with you know doctors performing abortions being killed, but you're not okay with the fetus being. You know that that's okay. Like, yeah, I'm not usually. I haven't heard anti abortion abortion being used in policy papers, but that would be a great distinction. Like what pro choice and pro life means. Yeah. Right. Pro life means no to death penalty. I don't think a lot of people 
would know that. Yeah. But you're affluent, and I'm affluent, and that makes a, makes a difference. But um, you were asking something. About oh, religion. so uh, yeah. So it was really they were voting Boston. on uh-huh. abortion, or abortion. they were maybe voting on gay marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly, it's been abortion versus gay marriage, mm-hmm. but I'm sure some have been a combination. Okay. How do we get past? that or is there a way to get past that because now I know like I said some of my friends that were that Mm -hmm. all of the rhetoric that's happened everything that's happened since they have regretted their not and I can't say everybody because I'm not talking to everybody but I definitely know (laughs) a few of those like I definitely know a good two handfuls of those voters that are my friends have moved away from that because they're they've realized shit he fucking doesn't want me here either. It doesn't matter where, where I'm from. It yeah. doesn't matter. Like he's attacking, you know, it's not just like you said, he's just attacking anybody who's not white. And if they're, if they aren't white and they support him, then he uses them as a token, right? Mm-hmm. As, as a tool to get, to say, Oh, I'm not this or I'm not that right. is, do you think there's a way to get around that? I mean, obviously it's a personal choice, but how do we coalesce something that to, as a community that doesn't involve that particular issue or can we does that make sense it does make sense and I think there's a couple of ways that I can answer this um back in the 60s there was this book that I had to read for my master's called the American voter you know the American voter um and I can't tell you the authors from the top of my head I can totally see the the book cover it hasn't been updated since the 60s because the American voter hasn't changed in the way that they vote what they look for when they're voting for somebody um, and that tells you something that regardless, even though the country's becoming diverse, racially, gendered wise, sex, like in sexual orientation, uh, gender expression, religion, immigration status, the way they vote is not so different. There's a couple of takeaways from this book is most voters are want to issue voters. That's it. You're either for, um, you know, education or healthcare. You're either for uh, pro-life or you're against military state, like the military, etc. They're only looking for two things when they look at a candidate. So as somebody that, ha- like for myself, that has worked as a voter registration coordinator, that has worked as a campaign manager, that has worked as a consultant, I need to understand that when I'm talking to the communities, I'm talking about the two issues they care about, which means I get, I got to get to know my community first. But going back into how we kind of build a coalition, again, that's another part to the answer is we also need to understand that our voters don't are very fragile, right? They're trying to look for something in you as a candidate, in policies. They're trying to look like, well, how do you and I relate? Like, how can I build coalition or cohesiveness within my community when I don't even know what you are running for, when I cannot even relate to you and who you are, right? So... Now bring that back to the, to the community. When your neighbor cannot find any similarity with each, like with each other, when friends cannot find similarities and issues, I'm not asking you to think the same way I do, but can we agree on some things? Can we agree that healthcare is a right and not a privilege? Can we agree that no person should like be in debt for the rest of their lives for going to school? Can we agree that spending $500 trillion a year in the military is not a great way to spend our money? I think it's actually more than $500 trillion, right? 
So the only way to build cohesiveness is to build up upon in our values of what is important to us. Not about religion, not about, I mean, in the end of the day, what's important for you? And if you're able to answer that question, and so is your neighbor and your teacher and your friend, build something together. Build a movement out of that. It's like, this is one of the main reasons, like, even climate action is so big right now. Because we all don't want to die from the earth burning. And we can agree, right? Um, as long, well, right? not even everybody can agree. Some people true. say Some people it's don't. false science. or false, which is, Oh, Lord. Right. Yeah. But you know, you know who's heading that movement? The youth. The youth who... Those you know, 32 million new voters. Those 32 and, million new voters that, you know, for so many of them, it's not about, yes, of course they want access to education and of course they want the prison, like abolish the prison system. But they're also thinking about, what? They're so empathetic. They're thinking about the world. We don't want the world to end. I'm not even thinking about them. It's about, I, I want to be able to be here to continue the revolution, to continue the movement. And that speaks volumes, which is one thing that our community has not done. Seeming build coalition within us. Have you seen anybody currently or maybe emerging that would be able to be because obviously you've had certain people in certain for certain things right right Mm -hmm. you've had and you've had like obviously when it comes to migrant workers Mm -hmm. and rights and stuff you've had Cesar Chavez and even he had issues with immigration because of people coming up from Mexico while he was trying to have this the farmers working workers union and everything so there was even like issues there but have you, but he was able to kind of unify and even build, and even though it might have been contentious, like something with the Filipinos in regards to building a coalition and stuff. Have you, it's a name you recognize, and it's mm-hmm. a name you know that he brought people together. He mattered, he did something. Mm-hmm. We all matter. We not all of us are necessarily doing something, but have you seen anybody that? is already in politics or maybe starting to emerge from politics that you think is able to bridge that and bring us together on a, on a, whether it's local state or national level. Well, going back to the migrant uh, movement, when I think about who really created the UFW, I think it was Dolores Huerta because when the Filipino, the Filipino farmers, and I don't want to, I'm forgetting the name of the man who actually had the idea of the UFW, was not a Latino migrant. Right. It was a Filipino migrant. And Dolores Huerta was the first person he spoke to when thinking about, you know what? Our children are dying. They're, they're being born with deformities. We don't have access to a bathroom. You know. And then Dolores Huerta went to talk to another prominent farm worker, which was Cesar Chavez. But for me, Cesar Chavez is, is just the... You know, not not dishing on anybody that like loves Cesar Chavez. But for me, when I think about the UFW, about the migrant worker rights, I just think of Dolores Huerta. Mm-hmm. She is a woman who left, I think she has about nine children. She was always traveling, outreaching. She was at the right-hand side of Bobby Kennedy when he was announcing uh, he was going to run for president. This woman really built a coalition in California of what it meant to give farm workers rights. So that's just my tidbit. I don't think Cesar Chavez is the leader of the movement. I think it's her. He's a symbol. He's a symbol. He's the person who rose and became the symbol. Of exactly. See, right? So farm workers are like, oh, Cesar Chavez. I'm like, yeah, but the person that did all the grunt work was Dolores Huerta. Right? And 
bless her soul, she's still in Bakersfield and her, I think her son is in local politics as an assembly member. Um, but, you know, I think about, well, let's going back about how, who's somebody that is emerging. <sighs> I mean, in California, hmm, that's, that's one that I really need to think about because I want to, I want to shout out somebody that is Latina. I think there's Dulce Vasquez in LA who's uh, running, if it's not for city council, she is running for something a little bit higher. So she's definitely somebody to look at, look at. She is from UCLA. She's from LA. Uh, it's all about giving, bringing human rights to the community. Who else is somebody else to look for? Hala Yala in Virginia. She's a dear friend of mine. She's also an Emerge alum. She is somebody that has always been able to work a crowd and talk about rights. She is also Latina. I think she's half Latina. Um, but she's amazing. She's amazing when you think about emerging people. I want to see her in the Senate. She has that kind of pull. She has that kind of vision of making, she knows how to do big things, right? Um, and I actually met her when I used to work for the National Organization for Women. That's amazing. So those are two names that I would say for now to look after. We'll make sure to include those names yes. and they're in, we'll, in the show notes because if people want to look them up, yeah, definitely. we want to make sure people have the resources to do something. So speaking of resources, yeah, where are some resources that people can go to? Obviously, there's so many different platforms that people can go to register. Yeah. Um, but beyond register. Where are some resources that people can go? Because I think a lot of times people get confused. I've had a lot of friends, my friend, myself say, how do I truly know what is a bill? Because bills are written so confusing. You don't understand what exactly things are standing for. Like, yeah. should I vote? Yes. Should I vote? No. Is, is there resources? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure, I'm, are they local? Are they statewide? Is there a national one? Like, what are the places that people can go to to try to find some clarity of where does my money actually go? So you're thinking about like propositions. Now that the primaries are coming up in March. I mean, the ballot, the the big brochure they send you to your home is great. It's actually pretty detailed. But some people are like, eh, I don't want to sit through looking at 400 pages of what yes and no means on this problem. I know I have mine. I haven't even started looking at it yet. <laughs> and definitely, that's something, another wine and cheese might kind of nice. Like, you definitely <laughs> need some wine for that. But ballotpedia.org is amazing. Uh, ballotpedia.org obviously talks about the ballots, but you can even Google propositions in there. And like, is that nationwide and you can like down to your local yes. district? Mm-hmm. You okay. totally can. Ballotpedia.org. So Ballotpedia.org is very accessible. It's very easy to manage. So it's not impossible. Um, I would also say to look into, if I don't, if I'm not mistaken, the actual ballot has a, um, well, that's CaliforniaCensus.com. It actually has. Oh yeah. If you go to the secretary of state, so Alex Padilla's um, home, page online can you do that in any state you should be able you just go to your secretary of state's homepage, and you should be able to look at the propositions because the secretary of state per state is signs on the ballot mm. that comes up so it's on them it's really if that is not accurate you go tell it to them <laughs> but it's honestly you need to take your time you really need to take your time and not like run through it and I think so many of us in this age of quick technology and quick satisfaction, you know, things you cannot understand a proposition in two seconds. You really need to sit, sit there. And I think that's what so many people don't want to vote. 
They're like, well, I'm not going to vote in the primary, so I'll just wait till November. I'm like, do you know what you're doing? That means there's about 20 million votes that don't get counted because you're lazy. And I'm going to say it. So many people are just like, well, I don't have time. Well, you're right. The government, the local, state, and federal government doesn't make it easy for voters to go out and vote. Why is why are we voting on a weekday? Why are we not voting? Or making a, it a national holiday? Yeah, well, in Mexico, elections are on the weekends, right? Well, I mean, that part that's part of voter suppression, that whole thing, right? Absolutely, that has a whole history of it. It has a whole history of voter suppression. We talk about gerrymandering, how it, each election. We are redrawing the districts based on the census, which is so problematic, you know, and you, we also like the voters that are thinking right now for the primaries, I'm just not going to vote because I don't have the time for it. Think about what you're really saying, right? There's this um, book called The War Prayer by Mark Twain, which says, you know, so many people go out to pray to make sure that their sons survive the war. What you were really praying is for somebody else's demise. For somebody to come back, right? It's like, well, I want my son to come back and I want my country to win. But that really means we're slaughtering another population. We're really decimating another government. So when you say that your vote doesn't matter in March, you're saying, well, because it's I don't care about immigrant rights. I don't have enough time for it. I don't care about Medicare, Medicare, Medi-Cal, because I have no time for it. You choosing to skip on the primaries which really gives us a glimpse into the November election and who's going to be the nominee for Democrats and even nominees for Congress, State Assembly, you know, City Council. You're saying to other people that you just don't care enough to put time and effort into seeing what the propositions are, who's actually running. It does take time. But if we are so willing to upload a selfie into Instagram, all that time that you spend scrolling... You could have spent representing progressive policy agendas. And I'm not here to sugarcoat it. I'm telling you how it is. No, I appreciate that. <laughs> well, the other thing is that we, there's so many elections, right? There's so many, like, you have two-year, you have four-year, you have, pro, like, like, do you think people, I, I mean, do you think people get election fatigue because they don't even know, like, wait, let, why are Congress people only have two years, by the way? Anyways, it doesn't feel like that's just even enough. They're barely getting started. And then they're like, when you're going up for election or re-election, you're having to spend so much time trying to raise money and campaign. Mm-hmm. Like how much, I don't, to me, that's always been so confusing because senators are six years, right? Yeah, senators are one term, are six years, not one term. I'm thinking about Mexico, those presidents are six year, one term. Um, senators are six years. Congress is two years. Now you have to think back into the Federalist Papers. John Jay, Hamilton, and, oh, Lord, I'm for, in, in May. Yeah, John May. No, John May. Oh, my goodness. I'm forgetting now. Is the wine hitting me? It might be. Uh, <laughs> but we still but, get a history lesson. Yes. Yeah, so in the Federalist Papers, you know, what? there's the so-called founding fathers, right? They wrote in to have such short um, you could say terms terms for Congress because Congress is so strong. When people think it's like, oh, president is the strongest person in the land. No. Well, yeah, look at Mitch McConnell. He's the one, like, how well, many... He's in Senate, and that is very powerful. Right, but well. even, yeah, Congress mm-hmm. is so strong, but they yes. can't get do anything because Mitch McConnell won't even bring anything up for a vote. Yeah. Right now, mm-hmm. my opinion, right now, 
Mitch McConnell is the single most powerful person in government. Oh, no, that is very correct. Right. Uh, being the, the like the Senate majority leader, the, the congressional majority leader, those are the you really get to say how the agenda goes. You either mm -hmm. stop it or you let it go, um, which is so important for people to pay attention to who's up for Senate grab. Like who's running for Senate currently? If we can turn a, a red seed blue, go do it. Right? That's why it's so important, right? For because I know in California, yeah. the way that, and I I don't think every state or no every state doesn't work this way, but California, it's whoever gets the top two votes, whether it's two Democrats, two Republicans, whatever, is the ones who go on to the general election, correct? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's so important for people to truly realize and go out because if you're if you're somebody who is a Democrat or you tend to lean more progressive or, you know, and you decide not to go out, if everybody decided that, then you're going to have people who mm. never, who don't represent your values and don't represent your views yeah. going into mm -hmm. a general election. And then you're going to, and then that's going to make you less likely to even go to the general election mm. because I, that then you're like, whatever. Mm -hmm. How do you feel like with the current presidential election, how are, um, being in the position that you're at, I'm sure. Where are you feeling like the Latinx community kind of putting their eggs in? What basket do you feel like they're kind of leaning in? Oh, my people, they're waiting till last minute. They're waiting I'm, to see what the what other people are. I'm part say. of that. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> but that's the thing, right? I think that um... I will vote for somebody in the primary. <laughs> Let me clarify. But I'm just so conf I'm so confused. But that's the thing. It's not your fault about that first of all the fault is for not making civics lesson accessible in the schools first of all let's start there why are we not teaching our children about you should not be getting election fatigue every two years i just don't understand that i was like it's every two years you're not voting every year just every two years right but if we were to teach at a young age um why is it important for you to just get to say what you prefer in the ballot like, I want more of my tax money to go. The main reason the Chargers are not in San Diego is because people didn't read the proposition clearly enough. People were rioting outside the Chargers stadium because they're like, how could you, how could the Chargers do this to us? Uh-uh. It was the it, voters who voted. It was again. in the ballot and you decided not to vote. And guess what? Your vote didn't get counted because you did not vote, right? So for our Latinx community- And we can't- we cannot, here's the thing too, right? Mm -hmm. We can't rely on commercials to inform us. Oh, absolutely. I think that if you're just waiting on the media to tell you the truth, you've been wasting a lot of time. <laughs> um, but I think more than anything is don't throw away the opportunity to just vote. It is not diff like, it is not difficult. I'm going to say some people are going to be like, oh, like, how dare you? Like voting all this. I'm like, no, I'm not talking about voter suppression. I'm not talking about the, the lack of accessibility to go to vote. But I'm talking about the fact that other institutional powers, right, are oppressing us as voters. And for a lot of for minority voters to not go out to vote because our vote is powerful. And what I want is for our community to fight against that. It's like, no, I want a, 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 um, a voting, what's it called? Like a voting station at a high school. Why don't we have it at high schools? Why don't we have it at civic centers? Places that are really accessible to the community that you know a lot of people go to. Mm -hmm. Why are we 
And when I say we, it's the collective we. The collective, no, when I say we, I mean like the local government and oh. the federal government making it more difficult on us to vote. Now, that's what I'm saying. That's where the community can come in and be like, no, let's use my house as a voting station. Let's use this high school. Let's use this middle school. Let's make sure that our right, because it is a right as a citizen, to be accessible. And that's the thing. We shouldn't be bogged down in the details. It's like, oh, I just, I just cannot take enough time for that. Recognize what you're saying with that statement. You have no time to change the current political climate. You're just waiting on somebody else to do it. And that is just not going to do any good for us. For any of us that are trying, for me, get women elected. I want to get Latinas elected in office. But if my own community isn't willing to fight against what's holding them that back, how can I count on them as voters? How can the women that want to run, like Dulce, count on them? And they are not even willing to stand up for themselves. It's the youth. It's our youth. It's our Latino youth that are doing all the work. Right. What happens to the 35 and over? They're like, well, no, I cannot be bothered by it. They're like, yes, capitalism and classism, those are all oppressing networks that are working against us in this 8 to 5, Monday through Friday kind of world. You're so right. There's no form of ethical liberation with capitalism. But you know what? We really just need to come together. We really just need to think about, you know what? It's not about the issue anymore. It's about the fact that we don't even, we're the right to vote is being taken away from us. And it's because we're staying silent. And when you stay silent, you're inside of the oppressor. And that's what we don't recognize. Oh, girl. Oh, you know, it's <laughs> like, no, there's so much. I mean, I remember, what was it? Like, when the, oh, I can't even, I can't even, there's just so much, there's so much. Like Part two will be coming yes, soon. Yes, yes, <laughs> we will, because once a month, we're going to be talking different things. So if you guys have questions mm -hmm. for Aurea in regards to politics oh, or yeah. we're running for office, maybe yeah. what it takes to run for office, please make sure. So, because I feel like right now that's where we should end it, because that was just yeah. such a powerful statement, and I don't want to take away from that, because, <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, like I have chills and I got emotional obviously during mm -hmm. this during this podcast because it's something that's so like I truly believe in you're right, politics is personal. Mm -hmm. And when you believe that your rights for me it's like just as a right as a human to live absolutely are being infringed on yeah. and taken away mm -hmm. that should make you angry. Mm -hmm. And ang when you're angry, you take action. Absolutely. So Get angry, guys. Freaking yeah. do some shit. Don't yeah. be. Don't stay at home. Yeah, start the revolution. That's what we need. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, Aurea, what is your social handle? My social handle, I'm on Twitter as at Aurea, A-U-R-E-A, -E underscore Bolaños P. So it's B-O-L-A-N-O-S and P-S and Peter. That's my Twitter. And on my Instagram, I'm actually under at Aurea, A-U-R-E-A -E underscore BP. So, And we'll make sure to include all of that in the yes. show notes as well, as well as the resources that you gave for people to be able mm -hmm. to look up the different bills and all of that. Yeah, and I'll even send my email. I'm actually just getting some things sorted out with my consulting email. So I want to make sure that people have, you know, they're looking for a political consultant that understands politics for Latinos or especially for women, that they can always hit me up for any questions. I always love to talk about politics. Girl, I've seen her in action. <laughs> Guys, I've seen her in action. She is, I just literally sat, 
sit there with my mouth open, just like, <sighs> I have such a girl crush on you. You're Aww. so intelligent. And it makes me like so happy to see somebody who's so engaged and who knows so much. And I'm so happy that we've become friends because <laughs> I am, I am because it just, I don't know. There's no words of how appreciative I am that you came on and that you're willing to come on, you know, mm. and talk about these things. And yeah, I'm totally fangirling right now with you. <laughs> I love it so much. Oh my God, I'm getting all flushed over here. So you guys, I'll make sure all of this is on the show notes. Thank you so, so much for mm. tuning in. I hope you have a reaction to this. Um, my social, as always, is The Wine and Cheese Please make sure to like us and give us star ratings yeah. on all of the all of the podcast platforms. And we want to hear your questions because there will be follow-up with Audia. So Absolutely. please make sure if you have any questions to send those in. So thank you, guys. Saludos. Bye. about political achievement. Am I right? Thank you, Aurea, for providing such wonderful insight and information in regards to how we can better build a coalition and how we can better be informed as voters. All of the information she shared with us will be in the show notes. Do you have a story that needs to be told or know someone who does? Then please reach out to me via my social media channels. On Instagram, you can find me at The Wine and Chisme. And on Facebook, you can find me at The Wine and Chisme Podcast. I want to hear your stories. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe. Rating and reviews are always appreciated, and those five stars are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.